Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Hey, we're in a week three of our series called Mind Monsters, and we've been talking about things, uh, overcoming things, how to defeat and overcome things that try to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives. So we've talked about defeating fear. My, my mom last week and Pastor Sherry preached an incredible message on defeating worry and anxiety. And today we're gonna address the topic of defeating discouragement and depression. And so if you're a San Francisco Giants fan, this is especially relevant to you. Come on, go Dodgers. I know some of them, I won't call them out, but I see some of them here. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering why Jenny is sitting down on a, on a stool here, it's because she's 17 and a half weeks pregnant, looking more beautiful than ever. If you wonder why I sit down, it's just because I'm lazy. So <laughs> let's pray. Father, we have ears to hear, hearts to receive today. In Jesus' name, speak to us, encourage us, help the Dodgers keep winning. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth is all of us deal with disappointments in life. That's just part of life is disappointments happen. And if we allow it to, disappointment can easily slide into discouragement. And if you allow discouragement to stay in your heart too long, then that can easily lead to depression. If you're battling depression or discouragement today, uh, we believe this message is gonna encourage you. It's gonna equip you to to help defeat it. I also wanna let you know there's no shame uh, in that. I think sometimes in the church, we, we've, some people think that you have to be perfect or you have to, have to have it all together. Friends, there's no shame if our emotions are, are broken or if our brain chemistry doesn't work exactly the way that it's supposed to. Just ask my wife, my brain chemistry <laughs> doesn't work the way that it's supposed to all the time. But you don't need to feel any condemnation or embarrassment God created us as body, soul, and spirit, and he wants us to be healthy in all three of those aspects and dimensions of our life. And the church, and specifically our church, is a safe place where you can be honest and open with your struggles. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to fake the funk. You can be honest and open, and you can receive healing and freedom. Let me say it a different way. The church is not a spiritual gym where the spiritually strong come to flex their spiritual mes muscles and try to impress other spiritual people. At least this church isn't. The church is a spiritual hospital where the lost, the sick, the hurting, the broken, the confused, the depressed can come, come on. They can meet the great physician whose name is Jesus and they can be healed and made whole. And by the way, even scripturally, if you're battling depression, you're not alone. In fact, you're in good company. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in all of scripture, was depressed. Read 1 Kings 19, I'll reference that in a few moments. King David, a man after God's own heart, battled depression. Read Psalm 143. Jonah ran away from God. You better believe he battled depression. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, also battled depression in Lamentations 3. You can read about that. And we recognize that sometimes depression is caused uh, by a chemical imbalance. It might be, you know, there's a, there's a physical, it's an actual physical issue. And, and certainly we don't want to dismiss or discount those causes in any way. I know sometimes we need to take medication to help address this issue. But I also want to let you know for a great number of people, maybe, maybe everyone, although that might be an overstatement, but for most people, depression is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. In fact, I think probably any aspect of depression at least has a, has a spiritual cause to it. And so Jenny and I want to uh, give you five biblical, practical, powerful steps on how to defeat discouragement and depression. So point number one is put your hope in God. First Samuel um, chapter 30 is a story of David at Ziklag. You should read it on your own if you have some time. And the Bible says that David was at the lowest point of his life. 
and he was depressed, he was abandoned, his men wanted to kill him, he was hiding in a cave, he was at rock bottom. And this is what 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse six says. David was greatly distressed, but at the end of that verse it says, but he also found strength in the Lord his God. I love how the Bible is honest. It doesn't say that, oh, David was sad, or David was bummed out, or he was having a hard day. No, he was distressed and doing terrible, but David also found strength in the Lord is God. So what can this teach us? When you're at the lowest point of your life, don't stay there. If one of the heroes in the faith had completely depressing and horrible circumstances happen to him and was honest about it, which is one of the most important things, be honest about the state that you're in, but he chose not to stay there. Don't camp there, put your hope in the Lord, amen? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The smallest level of faith is hope. The Bible tells us to have a mustard seed, right? Faith starts with you hoping for something. I hope I get a job, I hope I get married, I hope I get out of debt, I hope the Dodgers win the NLCS. On, NL, that's the right acronym, right? Okay. <laughs> Don't lay down to feeling helpless. You are not helpless. You serve a God of hope. And if God did it for David, if he did it for many, many heroes of faith in the Bible, then he can do it for you because he is faithful and he is true. Now, about 60 years ago, the military came up with a program called PERMA, P-E-R-M-A, um, in conjunction with a very well-known psychologist which was going, developed to help soldiers who were dealing with PTSD and depression. It's interesting that everything, every step that they came up with within this therapy, they're all, all these principles are straight from the Bible. And what's cool about that is that the world sometimes hijacks the word and thinks that it's so smart. God's fine with that. He'll minister, he'll minister through that. Um, but I wanted to tell you about these five things that the military currently uses to help soldiers who are dealing with PTSD and depression. It's based on the acronym PERMA. Number one, P. P stands for positive emotions. This is what the study says. In the midst of trauma, crisis, and depression, soldiers need to have a positive outlook on life. They need to have positive emotions. Or to put it biblically, the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10 says, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This study also said, which is so cool, the way you get soldiers to have positive emotions is to introduce them to a hero character, someone who went into hell, defeated an enemy, and shows you how to, chose them how to defeat that same enemy. Well, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing? And they also said that in doing that, soldiers would find a new identity. And what do we find, church, when we find Jesus? We find a brand new identity in him. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The next part, E, E stands for engagement. This study said, if you are going to overcome depression, you cannot stay isolated forever. At some point, soldiers need to engage with a higher power. Well, we don't just believe in a higher power here, we believe in the God of heaven, right? And we need to engage with him, church. That means that we need to talk to him, we need to read his word, we need to enter into worship, we need to enter into the presence of the Lord again. We need to be involved corporately as a church, together as a body, to help praise his name and lift up his name because he is the one who is worthy to be praised. Now listen, this means that if service starts at 11.30, you're not parking your car at 11.30, all right? This means that you are sitting in your seat at 11.30 ready for worship to start because I'm you're on the front I'm gonna back up, I don't lines. wanna get hit with friendly fire right now. I'm sorry, like I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but listen, like this, these are important things for people in the church to hear, right? I know that they're kinda tough, but we're on the front lines of ministry here. Sarah and the team and our pastoral team, we are here readying you, praying for you, pushing back hell so that when you sit down and are ready to listen to a sermon, you can hear the voice of the Lord and you can be at complete peace. So be part of that. Enter into the presence of the Lord with us together. 
Listen, I get it if you have kids. I understand. I was late to church every week for like 10 years. But do you know what I did? <laughs> right? I was, right? Yep. Um, I would come about halfway through service during 9.30, and I would stay about halfway through service at the 11 o'clock service. You know what? Because I didn't want to miss worship. That so, might have been part of your problem, because it's actually 9 a.m., not 9.30. Oh, well, there you go. See, look, we're all human, right? But listen, I never missed worship, even if I had to stay for worship during the next service. So we're flexible here. We're not trying to be, you know, disciplinarians. What we're trying to do is to help disciple you and help to mature you as believers spiritually, right? And if your heart is set, if you engage in worship with your king, if you put God on the throne of your life before the sermon even starts, then your heart is even more ready and receptive to hear from him when you sit down. All right? Love you guys. <laughs> There's a faithful God who will always, always provide for you. God is still on the throne, but we need to engage with him. You know, he's patiently waiting in the wings always. All you have to do is, do is turn an ear, turn to the side, and he is always there. He will never abandon you or leave you. And point number three, R, P-E-R. R stands for relationships. This study said if you're going to develop hope, you need to have strong relationships with other people. We need others. I need you and you need me. Regardless of what the world is saying, we do not need social distancing. We actually need each other. John's gonna touch on this in a little bit, so I won't go too much further down the tracks, but Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. I want God to be with me and to be with you, so let's not do life alone. The next one, M, P-E-R-M. M stands for mission. This study found that if soldiers we're going to defeat depression, they needed something to believe in that is bigger than themselves. Now this wasn't talking about social issues, they were talking about spiritual issues. What are the spiritual issues that we're dealing with today? In the church, the cross, the lost, the crazy world that we live in, right? But listen, if we wanna get out of depression and despondency, we need to come alongside the mission of the Lord. And what is that? It's to plunder hell and to populate heaven, right? Because the only thing that we can take with us when we die, folks, is our soul and the other people that we have brought alongside of us along the way. You're not gonna bring your possessions. You're not gonna bring all the trophies that you have. You're not gonna bring your degrees. It's just your soul. So let's make sure that we partner with the mission of heaven. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's a promise for you, church. God will not change his mind about your calling and purpose just because you're feeling down in the dumps. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can do everything God called you to do still despite your emotions and despite the battles you might be facing. So listen to Dory the theologian fish when she says, just keep swimming, right? And the last point of PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. In order for soldiers to overcome discouragement and depression, they need some wins. We need some wins in life. We need fresh victories to motivate us to get out of the pit of despair. When you get hit over and over again, and there's battles at work, battles at home, battles at church, battles with the neighbors, battles everywhere you look, it can feel like you're living through hell and everything around you is falling apart. And you need a victory to remind yourself that the Lord is with you. Where do you find that victory? Well, I'm gonna tell you. Romans 8.37 says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How do we get an accomplishment? It's by being not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. Um, I did a little word study on this verse, and the word conqueror has a, has a unique meaning. It means that you got out of something. Being a conqueror means that maybe you grew up in the projects, but now you live in a home that you bought yourself and you have paid for. You're changing the future for your family. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe you grew up in the home of an alcoholic and you've never taken a drink in your life. You're a conqueror. Maybe you grew up in a household where no one went to college, but here you are studying for your doctorate degree, making your family so proud. 
you are a conqueror. But to be more than a conqueror, like Romans 8:37 means, that you go back to that situation that you were pulled out of and you help pull other people out of it as well. That means that if you grew up in a crack house, maybe you go by that crack house and turn it into a rehab and get everybody on that block saved. If you grew up in the house of an alcoholic, you become a sponsor and help out at Celebrate Recovery or an AA to help other people out of addictions as well. Amen? So getting other people out of the pit is what will help you to be more than a conqueror. It will help you to feel accomplished and give you a reason for living. That's the definition of accomplishment. Not just restoring hope for yourself, but for doing it for somebody else. Amen, it's so good. You said the military spent $145 million on research. You got that in five minutes for free, so that's really good. But that, that's, that's the first and most important point, friends. If you're gonna defeat discouragement and depression, put your hope in God. He's the God of all hope. The story about Martin Luther, the great German reformer, literally changed the world. You can read, Google him, read about him, six, lived in the 1600s. But at one point in his life, he fell into a deep depression and he went down into his basement, locked the doors, pitch black. He had been down there for three days by himself. His wife, Catherine, came down on the third day. She was dressed in all black like she was going to a funeral. She was holding a, a candle and she opened up the door. She said, Martin, I have something to tell you. He said, what is it? She, she said, God is dead. And Martin Luther looked at her and said, Catherine, you know as well as I do that God is not dead. And she looked him straight in the eye and she said, well, the way that you've been acting for the past couple of days, obviously he is. <laughs> she walked back up the stairs and closed the door. Guess what? That snapped him out of his depression. <laughs> Friends, he is the God of all hope. And if you know God, there is always hope. There's always hope. Here's the second, here's the second point if you're gonna defeat the discouragement or depression. Number two is control your feelings. Don't allow your feelings to control you. Feelings are like warning lights in a car. When they start flashing and going off, you recognize that there's something that needs to be addressed internally. And feelings are very, very real, but they are not reliable. In other words, you don't wanna live your life based on how you feel. The Bible has a word for people who live their lives based on how they feel. They're called fools, all right? Because it is foolish to live that way. We need to learn how to control our emotions and not allow our emotions to control us. By the way, it's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. Did I say that right? I don't know, I, gotta think, I always gotta think about that when I say it. I'll keep going. Or is, is it better, is it easier, or it's better? Did I say it right? Okay, all right, I'll keep going. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. It's, no, I'm sorry, it's better to act your way into a feeling. That's what I wanna say. It's better to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. I just spent a minute on that. Now Jenny says I was a waste of time. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Friends, if you know the Lord, we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And so you can have, and you should have, and be growing in self-control. David wrote this in Psalm 143. He said, I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. But then listen to what he writes. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched lands thirst for rain. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me or I will die. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. In other words, David was honest with God and he said, Lord, I feel like 
you know, I'm gonna die, depression is overwhelming me, but I'm not gonna allow my feelings to control me. Instead, God, I'm gonna look to you. I put my trust in you. My dad graduated in heaven on Saturday, February 20th. This has been the most painful season in my life, in our family, in, in the life of our church. And I regularly have to fight off all kinds of feelings, fighting off feelings of fear and anxiety and worry and discouragement and grief and depression. And isn't that the term that we use? I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm battling. And because it is, friends, it is a fight, it is a battle. But I you know, can either give up and give in to those feelings or I can give them over to God. And I have made a choice, I've made a commitment in my heart that I am not gonna allow discouragement and depression to take up residence in my life. I will fight against them, but I'm not gonna allow them to come and settle in. And listen, I can't change the past, none of us can. We can't control all of the circumstances around us going on in our world or our, our, our politics right now, but you can control how you respond to them. And um, so just make a decision, make a commitment that you're gonna refuse to allow discouragement and depression. Instead, choose, make a choice that you're gonna look to God and that you're gonna allow his peace and his joy to take up residence in your heart. Corey Tin Boom says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, you'll be at rest. Amen. Point number three, overcoming depression, is renewing your mind with God's word. I have a friend named Pastor Kevin Goff who is a pastor at a great church in Arizona. Um, about 20 years ago, him and his wife and their three kids were in a car and they got hit head on by a semi and um, one of his twin sons was killed instantly. His wife was put in the hospital and almost died and he almost lost his mind over this whole situation. He was got addicted to painkillers and then that led to a methamphetamine and drug and alcohol addiction. He ended up losing his marriage, losing his church, losing everything and living in a hotel by himself in a different state. He was literally at rock bottom. He also got diagnosed with a severe bipolar disorder and was on a, a medication, I think it was lithium, um, every day that he had to take just to be able to function at one point, he said, he fell on his knees and said, God, I know that you can change this. I don't want this to be my future. I want my family back. I want my mind back. I want my life back. So the Lord told him, I want you to set an alarm on your phone that will go off every 30 minutes. And when that alarm goes off, I want you to say these healing declarations over your life. And he gave him a list of things that he would say, I am a child of God. I am the son of the most high. My mind is strong in Jesus' name. I am not depressed. I do not have bipolar disorder. I am an overcomer. I will get through this. Every 30 minutes, that alarm went off for two years, and he said these declarations over himself over and over and over and over again. And at the end of that two years, his mind was completely restored. He was able to get off medication. Every addiction was gone. He got remarried to his wife. God reestablished his church, um, renewed his relationship with his children that were alive, and they're happy and growing a great church today in Arizona. Now listen, that's a miracle that that happened, that God was able to bring him through all that, completely heal his mind and his body and his spirit. And he can talk about it today with freedom and with happiness. But it didn't happen in an instant like most of us want. A lot of us want um, like microwave faith with God. We wanna ask him for something and for it to happen immediately. But what God had to do with Kevin and what he wants to do with a lot of us is he had to renew his mind. And it took two years for that process to happen. And that's a miracle that he didn't even really sleep for two years, but God sustained him and carried him through. So what is it that God wants you to do today? How does he want you to renew your mind? One practical step in that is by studying God's word and getting closer to him. You'll learn that you don't have to follow every feeling and every thought that comes into your mind. Roman 12, Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And 2 Corinthians 10, at the end of verse five says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
One practical thing you can do today to resist the thoughts and feelings of depression, despair, worry, anxiety, is to say, I am not, whatever that thing is, I am not depressed, I am not anxious, I am not suicidal in Jesus' name. And there's something that happens when you say something out loud and get it out of your mind that you're saying to the spiritual realm, you're putting Satan on notice and you're evicting him from your mind and from your spirit and from your home. All right, enemy, I might be feeling this. This feels overwhelming at the moment, but you are not gonna have control over my thoughts any longer. I thank you that I am healed and I am set free and I have joy in Jesus' name. Even if you don't feel it, your body might not feel it, but your soul and your spirit is listening and they are becoming stronger. And your spirit only becomes stronger if you build up that muscle. Put on a garment of praise like we hear about and read about in Isaiah 61.3. Even though you don't always feel like praising God, we don't feel like being at church on time, we don't feel like putting on worship music, we'd rather chill out and watch Netflix. You can set your mind to the thoughts of depression and stay captive, or you can thank God for who he is and what he has done and what he will do and start transforming your mind. The Bible can't help you if you don't hide it in your heart, folks. It's just a book full of words that's gathering dust on the shelves. Don't let it be that anymore. Now listen, a lot of us have a medicine cabinet at home that we have with all kinds of things in it, ready and waiting. If we have a headache, there's an Advil. If we have a stomach ache, there's Pepto-Bismol. If we can't sleep, there's some NyQuil. If we're constipated, there's some Beano, right? We have, that's funny. <laughs> We have a medicine cabinet that is prepared to help us with all the physical ailments of life, but what is in our spiritual medicine cabinet? When I'm feeling depressed, what am I reaching for? Am I gonna call a friend and have them commiserate with me? If I, am I gonna search Dr. Google on the internet and put in all my symptoms so I diagnose myself with some inoperable brain tumor because I have a headache? What am I reaching for? When I'm in a fight with my husband, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna go just chill out on my bed and like watch some Desperate Housewives show or something? Thing. No, I'm not gonna do that. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna reach for the word of God. I'm gonna reach for verses that I have stored up in my heart and my spiritual medicine cabinet so I can come against all this junk that is trying to make its way into my heart and my soul. There's an enemy out there that wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything in your life. Don't let him, don't be open territory to him. Have the word as your weapon, have it at your ready. If you don't know what a Bible verse is, if you don't have anything memorized, this is where Google is actually a good thing. If you're feeling fearful, just put in Bible verses on fear. There's gonna be a whole bunch of stuff that comes up from Bible Gateway or Crosswalk or whatever. Highlight it, print it out, put it on your medicine cabinet in your bathroom so it reminds you that I'm not gonna reach for a pill or something that's gonna medicate me right now, but I'm gonna reach for the word of God. The Bible has everything you need to get rid of hopelessness. Did you know that? This is a prescription for hopelessness right here in your hands. Can you quote the promises that will save you when you're down? Start thinking about God's word instead of just thinking about your worries. It's a discipline that you have to develop, but I promise you it will renew your mind and it will change your life. That's good preaching, good job. Fourth step here, if you're gonna defeat discouragement and depression, number four is get help from other people and go help other people. You need to get help and you need to go help. The thing about depression is that it often leads to isolation because when you're depressed, the, the, the very essence of depression is that you're inward focused, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed with your own pain and so you don't really want to be around other people, you wanna be by yourself. And, uh, and be in isolation. But friends, isolation is one of the great strategies of the enemy. Because just like a soldier who is detached from the rest of his army, he has no chance of winning. He is an easy target for the enemy. And a Christian who is in isolation and detached from the rest of the body of Christ, you are an easy target for the enemy. Listen, I, I say this with love. But some of you that are watching online, you've been watching online too long now. You need to come back to church. If you're physically able, you need to come back to church. You need to be in the house of God, in the presence of God, with the people of God. Because this isolation, it, it, is, it is killing you spiritually, physically, and mentally. 
First Kings chapter 19, I mentioned to you that Elijah, great man of God, one of the greatest victories in the Bible he had just experienced, fell into a deep depression. And he starts complaining to God, and God's talking to him. And one of the things Elijah tells God, this is so funny, he says, God, I'm all alone. Nobody else serves you here. I'm the only one. And God answers him, answers him and says, Elijah, this is, a, this is my paraphrase of it. You don't even know what you're talking about. Elijah, there are 7,000 other people in this region that still serve me. And if you think you're the only one, then Elijah, go anoint this guy, and you're gonna go anoint this guy, and you're gonna go anoint this guy. And Elijah, go find Elisha. And guess what? You're never gonna be alone the rest of your life. Elisha's gonna be with you, and he's gonna serve you. You're gonna mentor and disciple him. So I guarantee that you're, you're, you're never gonna be alone. God wants us to be around other people because we need help from each other. Ecclesiastes chapter four says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. We need other people around us. Don't isolate, get help. Join a small group, join one of our connect groups that's meeting. Get people to pray for you and encourage you in your relationship with the Lord. Join Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights. Come on, overcome your hurts, hangups, and habits. We also have grace groups as part of Celebrate Recovery. They deal specifically with mental health issues and depression. Some of us ought to go to Christian counseling to get help. Sometimes, especially men, this has a, a negative connotation to us, and we think, I don't need that. We think that counseling is a sign of weakness. Friends, it's not, it's a sign of wisdom. The Bible says that in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom and safety. It's actually foolish. When you're stuck in your life, it may be in, stuck in depression, you're stuck in marital issues, it's actually foolishness to not seek counseling. You ought to go to, you ought to consider that. And not only that, should we get help from others, but we need to, you need to help and serve others. If you are battling discouragement, battling depression, one of the best things you can do is go find somebody who is in need and serve them and minister to them and help them. That's what ministry is. It's finding a need and meeting it. Take the focus off yourself. Go love somebody. Because God hardwired it into our DNA. When we love and serve other people, we experience joy and happiness. And that's all I have to say on that point. <laughs> John. And our last point, number five. Find God's purpose in your pain. All of us experience pain. I wanna tell you a quick story. There's a doctor named Paul Brand who was an orthopedic specialist and a leprosy surgeon. He was a born-again Christian raised by missionary parents. He's actually uh, written some pretty incredible books, one of them that I have at home. But he found the cure to leprosy, a disease that used to be terrible in biblical times, but it's all been eradicated today. And he found out that the reason why patients lost their appendages, lost their fingers and toes and lost their sight was because they lost the sensation of pain. Their nerve endings would deteriorate. So the sufferer, they would lose their sense of feel. If their bone was broken or if their hand was burned, they didn't know it and that appendage would just waste away. Dr. Brand is famous for saying, we must thank God that he invented pain. Many of my leprosy patients lost fingers, toes, and their sight because they could feel nothing. Depression can be a lot like a spiritual leprosy. It can numb you from pain that's actually there to help develop you. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our consciousness, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to a world that has gone deaf to his voice. The past two years, a lot of us, many of us, most of us have been in very deep pain over various things. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because a lot of us have gone deaf to hearing his voice. And pain, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, it can feel like it's destroying you in the moment, but it's not. The devil will use any type of pain to bring depression and fear and despair, but that's a lie. Don't stay there. Adversity actually brings strength and power. The existence of suffering and pain in this world screams to us that there's something wrong with this planet that we're living on. Yep. We're not meant to be here forever. But Jesus said in John 16, 
take heart because I have overcome the world. Have you ever heard someone say, this is killing me, when they talk about being in pain, either physically, mentally, emotionally, or maybe out of frustration? Well, that's good because God can only use redeemed men and women anyways who, have dead, who are dead to themselves. Wow. Amen. Amen? God will allow pain to empower you, not to destroy you. I need to say that again. God wants to allow pain to empower you, not to destroy you. Most elite athletes in the world, they know this. They don't give up when they experience pain. They push through and use it as fuel to make them stronger. Pain causes some people to break down and others to break records. Which one do you wanna be? Like John said, this has been an extremely painful year for us and our family. And I know it's been really painful for a lot of you guys too. But I'm determined that this pain is gonna make us stronger. If you feel tired, beat down, worn out, my, as my Aunt Karen would say, shot out and tore up, well, <laughs> welcome to the army of the Lord. You have made it through recruitment season. Now it's time to join the ranks on the battlefield in these last days because Jesus is coming soon and we need to plunder hell and populate heaven. <laughs> Listen, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. That's a lesson to all of us that there is still a lot of life to be lived after the biggest storm that you've ever gone through. Just stay with the boat. Stay in the church. Life is brutal, but God is mighty. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. Thorn has the same root word as stake, S-T-A-K-E. And he thanked God for it and said, this is a gift from you, Lord. When we can look at pain like Paul did as a gift from God, then we can really truly come out the other side stronger than ever. It might take some of us a little while to get there. We're all on a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, but God will be with you every step of the way. And have you noticed that we live in a world of weak men, weak authority, weak voices who are trying to drive our nation into hell? Not on my watch. We need strong men and strong women to rise up out of this pain and bring strength to the days that we're living in. People are watching us, church. They're looking at Christians. They're looking at us and seeing how we're responding to things. Are we going to bow under the oppression of the day or are we gonna rise up and stand up to these demonic authorities and say no more? Not on my watch, not while I'm alive, not while there's breath in my body. Did you know that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted them to experience excruciating pain. He had it in his mind, dreamed about it, that sick satanic king. There is that sick satanic spirit in our world today that wants to burn us up. But you know what happened? When those three men got put in the fire, it says that Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and is like, I don't just see three men, I see four, and one of them looks like a god. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of there. They walked out of the fire and didn't even smell like smoke. And you know what? What's interesting is that there was three men that walked out of the fire. The fourth man, who was a pre-incarnation uh, representation of Jesus, never came out of the fire. This is a lesson to all of us that when you are going through hell, when you're in the fiery furnace, all you have to do is look to your side because Jesus is already there waiting for you. Pain is not authorized to destroy you. It is meant to develop you. God is more concerned about your development than your comfort. Those aren't pretty words to say, but it's true and you need to hear it. Because those of you that are experiencing deep pain right now, physical, chronic pain, I know some of you in the room are dealing with pain every single day. You have to take medication just to function. This is not gonna be your future. God doesn't want you to live a life like that. Those of you who are dealing with mental pain and anguish, that is not your destiny. That is not gonna be your defining end. God can and he will bring you through. Psalm 119.71 says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Are you serious? It was good for me to be afflicted. But what does David say? I was afflicted and I learned your decrees. Some of us, the only thing that brings us to the word and to Jesus is pain. We only reach out to him in our most desperate moments. So God will use anything, you know? If God is trusting you with pain at the moment, ask him why. 
I ask him that all the time. Lord, what is the lesson in this season? I don't wanna continue on like this. This is really hurting me. It's hurting my family. It's, I feel like I can't go on. And every single time he answers me. Sometimes it's forgiveness that I need to offer to somebody else. Sometimes it's repentance. Sometimes it's a habit I need to change. What is the lesson that God wants you to learn in your current state of pain? He will tell you what that is if you ask him. Let Jesus be the Lord of all, otherwise he's not Lord at all in your life. Out of my deepest pain in my life have come my strongest convictions in God. I grew up in a pretty hellish environment. I experienced every kind of abuse that you can think of, physical, sexual, mental, emotional abuse, rejection, poverty, fear, pain, pain, pain for years and years and years for almost two decades. But I can remember as a little girl laying in my bed at night in my room, pulling the covers over my head and saying to myself, I wish that things could be different. I wish that God would save me from all of this. I wish that when I grow up that I'm gonna have a real family that's gonna love me and that's gonna tuck me in at night. I wish for food in my cupboards. I wish I didn't have to grow up in daycare. I wish for someone that loved me and cared about me. And you know what? Those little wishes I didn't realize at the times were the birthplace of prayer. Pain taught me the power of prayer. People often ask me where I learned to pray. How do you pray so long? What do you pray about? Like, why do you spend so much time with the Lord? Well, you know what? I just prayed because I had to, and I didn't really know any better. (laughs) I was in constant pain and turmoil, but for some reason, I didn't let that stop me. I constantly, I remember this as a little girl, thinking ahead, thinking ahead, it's gonna be different, it's gonna be different, I'm gonna do things different, I'm gonna marry one man my whole life and I'm gonna love him, and I'm gonna have kids and they're gonna love God and they're gonna love everybody else and they're always gonna have food on their table. Even though my kids have been eating a lot of pizza and Taco Bell lately because I've been too sick to cook them anything, but they've been eating (laughs) every day. My self-talk turned into God talk, even though I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. Pain was a primary way I developed a relationship with the Lord. And for those of you in the room today, the thing that you're struggling with might be the thing that brings you to the knees of your king. And that's all right. He'll take you however you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay the way you are either. Pain pushed me into the front doors of church and into the arms of Jesus. And in my current state of pain, God is still faithful. He is still there, he is still true and he has been faithful to me over and over again, even though I have failed him more times than I can count. But instead of letting those failures stop me from moving forward, I've asked the Lord to let them be reproductive in my life, which is why I'm up here today talking to you about it. (laughs) I'm here to tell you that God wastes nothing and he can redeem everything. I got help and I wanna help you get out of the pit of despair. Let's pull some other people out. You might find your destiny on the other side of a crisis like I did, that's okay. It might not be the way you imagined it, but let God use every situation and turn it around for his good and for your pleasure. Here we are, Lord. I don't wanna hurt without a purpose. I don't want you to hurt without a purpose. God gives commands and not explanations. Be determined that you're going to allow your despair to make you a better man or a better woman. We can't undo what's happened to us. I can't change the past. I wish I could. But we know that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He loves us. He wants to let you know that there is power in your pain. Did you know that Jesus didn't build a church until he went through excruciating pain? Isaiah 53, five says that he had to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And out of the wounds, that he had, he produced a church, and we are here today because one man went through the deepest pain imaginable. He was hit, struck, beaten, abandoned, tortured, unimaginable pain, but he didn't let that stop him. He actually came to do that for you and for me. He came to bleed, he came to die like a lamb before a slaughter so that you and I could be free and healed, not for a season, but for the rest of our life. Hallelujah, because he's a good God. I want you to turn your attention to the screen. We're gonna watch a testimony from my friend Matt Walsh about how he overcame depression. Hi, I'm Matt Walsh. I've uh, been coming to the cause about four years now. My story, it was about depression. I began getting sober about three years ago. Uh, I was drinking alcohol, smoking pot, and meth. 
And as I began to get sober, I became very depressed. Early in, I relapsed because I was so depressed. I would get up in the morning, I could not get out of bed. I would just roll in bed back and forth, uh, literally moaning at times. I just felt very hopeless. I would stay there all day. And I just didn't know what to do about it. I didn't care. I had no want for anything other than just being alone. My family wasn't talking to me. It was something I'd not experienced before. So a couple months into that depression, um, I was re recommended to go to a therapist here. He was very beneficial to me, a fellow Christian as well. I started meeting with him and he started using cognitive behavioral therapy to get me to change my mindset. Uh, we developed some coping statements to get rid of my stinking thinking, so to speak, so that I would start thinking more rationally. I had no idea how often I was awfulizing things. I had been coming to the church for about a year, and it was the first time that I knew the Holy Spirit. I was uh, reading my Bible daily, and that is the one thing that kept me going. I would get that Bible. Sometimes it felt like a thousand pounds to grab that Bible and start reading it. But once I did, God would just start speaking to me, giving me hope, giving me a, a direction to move in. There was a particular Bible passage that really impacted me, and it is Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes you by the right hand and says, do not fear, I will help you. And I would meditate on it. I repeated it thousands of times, and it was enough to get me moving a little bit, maybe get me out of bed, maybe make a phone call to somebody. Um, and most evenings I had something to do in fellowship or something here at the church. So I would come to church functions and it seemed totally fine. That's how depression is. Once, once you get out of that element, I'll seem normal to everybody else. But when I'm at home and I wake up in the morning, it's, it's a completely new process. Working on my stinking thinking, using coping statements, and primarily through the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting in God, I was able to change that mindset. So God has, has done a miracle in me in taking away any want for drugs or alcohol. I have zero want. And really done a miracle in my life by taking away the depression out of my life as well. I now function normally. I don't have the same anxieties and paranoia and, and phobias that I had before. And I have a great relationship with my children again, with my parents again, and just great fellowship here at the church. It's, there's just no place I'd rather be. I'm here. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night often. And now I do it and wake up with joy in the morning, uh, a godly joy, you know, the joy that uh, Jesus Christ has brought into my life. And I'm very, very appreciative. Amazing. It's amazing, amazing what the Lord can do in our lives. Man, God is so good. He's so kind. He loves you so, so much, friends. He is the God of all hope. He is your healer, he is your savior, he is all of those things, but you have to allow him to be that in your life. And the, the first step is to come into relationship with him. You were created, God created you. You're not a mistake or an accident, God created you. The Bible says that before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. And he created you to live with purpose, to live with passion, to walk in relationship with him, to know him, experience his joy and his peace, in this life, and then for all of eternity, which the Bible calls heaven. Every single one of us, friends, are gonna live forever. I know we don't think about that very often. You don't think about eternity. We can't comprehend it. But every single person will live for forever. That's how God hardwired us. That's how he created us. Our spirit will live for eternity. Eternity with God is called heaven. Eternity separated from God is called hell. And hell is not meant for you or any other human being. Heaven is meant for us. But we have to receive the Lord. We have to say, Lord, I need you and want you in my life. Which is why Jesus came. God loved you so much that he gave his son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, puts their faith, their trust in him, will never perish but have everlasting life. And the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus. The, the cross is the bridge between you and God. It's the only way. That's why Jesus died, as Jenny just mentioned, it shed his blood to forgive us of all of our sins, to bring healing in our spirit, in our mind, in our body, to give us abundant and eternal life. But you have to make that decision. Nobody can make it for you. Your spouse can't, boyfriend or girlfriend, 
can't make it for you, you have to open up your heart and say, Lord, I need you. I want you in my life. I want to be in relationship with you. Some of you have never made that decision before. You've never made that decision, but you're ready to do that today. Or maybe you've prayed a prayer, but you've walked away from the Lord and you want to come back to him today. The Bible says that God's arms are open. He's waiting for you to respond to him. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Maybe you're watching online. I'm talking to you as well. Just close your eyes for a moment if you would. Give the gift of, uh, of privacy. And friends, if you're here today, you're ready to be in relationship with God, either for the first time or to come back to him in a, in a radical recommitment. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day you're the person. If you make the choice, God will make the change in your life. And I want to ask you to respond to that. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and look at me. I, I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you to the front. But I want to see you and agree with you because there's power in agreement. And then I'm going to lead you and everybody else in a prayer of salvation and confession. I think there's a hand already up. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Hold it high. Hold it high. Hold it high until I see you. Young man, are you, you put your hand up. Are you looking? Yeah, you're serious. Okay, good. Anybody else here today? I see you, sir, in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Raise your hand until I see you. Until I see you, I see you in the very back. That's great. Awesome. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody here. So good. So I think at least three, three hands raised, maybe some people online. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this is the first step. Salvation is the first step in following Jesus for the rest of your life. But I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation right now. Church, let's all pray this prayer in support of our friends. Let's pray it loud and pray it strong this morning. Repeat after me a phrase at a time. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all of my sin. Right now I surrender my life to you. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I renounce every work of the devil in my life. God, I declare that you are my hope. Make me a new person. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I declare that heaven is my home. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's so good. Can we celebrate that for a minute, church? Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.